Hey, you're listening to the Big Breakdown Podcast with Chris Stafford and Harrison Marshall. Take it away, fellas. Hello and welcome to episode seven of the Big Breakdown Podcast. Just want to start this episode, first of all, by by thanking everyone who's commented on, on last week's episodes with Steve. We've been blown away by the feedback that we've had from it, uh, especially on Steve's chair. Um, but thank you for everyone who's, t- who's, who's given us feedback on that. It's been brilliant. And we're going to follow that up today with a, another great episode with Joe Kane from, from Wasps, who's Academy Coach Development Officer and DPP Manager. And it's a great discussion around what they're doing at Wasps, around their curriculum that they use and, 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 and his experience working in different parts of the world as well. Before we get into that, we are drawing our episode four competition at the end of this episode. Uh, so stay tuned for that as we announce the winner. And we actually have an exciting competition to, answer, to, to, to announce moving forward. We've teamed up with Canterbury for a Ready for Rugby, Return for Rugby uh, giveaway. So make sure you please listen to the end of the episode for this to find out more details about that. Harrison, how are you? I'm good, thank you, Chris. I'm good. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm excited for this episode. Um, first of all, announcing the winners from our from our episode four um, competition and this exciting, exciting little collaboration, shall we say, with with Canterbury. So a lot to look forward to, and an interesting chat with um, with Joe. So yeah. it was, it's quite close for you, anyway, isn't it? Because it's the environment that, that you're operating in as well, sort of down at Wasps. So I think it'll be interesting to hear sort of the, uh, the how you, you guys are operating down there and, and how that aligns to the conversation we had with Stuart as well in terms of what Yorkshire are doing. Yes, yeah. And um, yeah, I think we'll... Um, can't give away too many trade secrets, but I'm sure I'm sure we can delve, um, delve in a bit deeper about, you know, what Joe does um, work with the DPP uh, um, leading that programme and then what we kind of do together um, in terms of creating a curriculum for, for the academy players. Yeah, cause, I mean, like I said at the start, I think I've been quite blown away by by the positive feedback and responses that we've we've had for Steve's episode. Um, there's a lot of people seem to have got a lot from that episode, which is amazing because that's exactly what we want. We want to try and get out of this is for, for stuff that coaches can actually use in, in their, their everyday practice in, in the community game. Definitely, definitely, and I think you know, Steve, um, Steve McEwen, he's been blown away with it as well by um, by all accounts. Yeah, he didn't, he didn't think anyone would listen. I've told him we must have an army of fans, but I mean, I mean, there's even like previous students of his have come to Twitter and commented about how much of an impact he had on on them when they were at the university as well. So I think, I think that's really, really. I that says a lot about Steve, and I think his personality really came out in that episode as well. Oh, oh definitely, it was a nice little, um, nice little birthday present for him. And and yourself, um, happy um, happy. Uh, what was it? Twenty twenty one again. Uh, definitely twenty one again. Yes, yeah. Uh, downside was sharing it with with Easter Sunday. There's always something that, that takes the edge off your your birthday. But yes, the birthday was yesterday. And uh, yeah, found out that Steve's also shares it. So you know, great great minds, great people, and all that. You know. <laughs> yeah, not just you know sharing it with the two of you, and um, yeah. It was a good present, so thank you very much for for commenting and, and giving such a such a wonderful response to episode six. Yeah, should we should we get started with Joe? So after a five-year stint playing at Leicester Tigers, Joe retired to injury and made the transition into coaching. He coached abroad in Malaysia for three years and Belgium for two years and now finds himself with Wasps working with the academy. He's an all-sports enthusiast, big Sunderland football club fan, a darts player, tries to play golf and cricket and is a winning racing greyhound owner. Joe, thanks for joining us. How are you? 
Thanks, Chris. Um, yeah, I'm really good, mate. Thanks for having me on. Um, first podcast I've ever done, so um, I'm looking forward to it. Harrison's talked it up. Yes, well, it should be. Uh, it's just a relaxed chat. It's all it is, just a relaxed chat about coaching. Um, but, but I'm just going to sort of start off with a different route tweaks. We're really focusing on understanding the the how and, and, and coaching. Just, I was wondering if you could just quickly outline for us what, what good coaching looks like for you. Well, it's, it's, it's that uh, million-dollar question, isn't it, really? What is good coaching? And for, for me, if you have a group of players who are enjoying their rugby, enjoying their time on the pitch, and when they come on the pitch... They, sorry, when they leave the pitch, they're leaving a better player than what they come on to. And that's, it's really important that we, as coaches, try and make training fun, try and make training a good learning environment, allow the players to be themselves, um, allow them to show their personalities. We don't want, the last thing as coaches, we don't want 15 robots that all say the same things, they, they do the same things, they only know the same these certain languages or or whatever our our sort of chat is going to be on the pitch. We want people to express themselves and it's how do we create that environment? Um which is which is different for, for different teams and different age groups of players. So but the main thing is the lads are enjoying themselves or the girls are enjoying themselves and they leave the pitch better players. I think that's really uh, sort of echoes a lot of the stuff of what we've been been speaking about in the previous episodes sort of understanding the who and the what and, and the yeah. how and bringing all them together. So I think it's, I mean, that's one thing that I've noticed from all the chats that we have is, is it is all about the participants and and, I, and, I, and we know this because I mean, all three of us are, are regular practicing coaches, but I think for, for the people listening to it, just really understanding the wants and needs of the participants before the game, I think is quite an important um, part of coaching. So obviously you've got a, a, a great backstory sort of from, from, from playing as well. Um, so could you give us a quick overview of your, your backstory of playing and coaching and, and how you sort of end up with Wasps working with the academy? So um, I joined Leicester Tigers as an academy player in 2009. Um Went to college in Leicester, um, studied there, studied my A-levels and was full-time in the academy. So the academy system's changed, you, you, you guys will know, over the last few years where there's more ownership on um, schools and the, sort of the academy lads are probably only in one or two times a week, whereas back in 2009 we were in five days a week, which was very, very full-on. Um, so yeah, I went through that programme for, for three years and well, two years in the academy and then one as a senior academy player and then was fortunate enough to get a two-year uh, stint with the first team at Leicester, um, which was great. But the whole five seasons I was there, just struggled with injury. Um, I constantly dislocated my knee pretty much and had three reconstructions and unfortunately the last one, sort of the last reconstruction was pretty much the end uh, for me. Um, but Leicester were really supportive, to be fair. They really helped me with the next step. Had a lot of support from the RPA, which was great, um, and moved into coaching. It was it was one of them, what do you do after you play? Um, and for me, it was, I would love to stay in sport. I'd love to stay in rugby. And coaching was the not the easy way, because at the start, I found coaching really tough, because I'd only ever sort of coach how I'd been coached and it doesn't work like that when you're working with sort of 12, 13 year old lads and you're trying to develop them as players and you're trying to coach like Richard Cockrell does. Um, doesn't quite, doesn't quite fit. Um, but I moved up to, to North Yorkshire and coached at a school in uh, uh, Ampleforth College um, where I worked in the prep school there. Um, so, which was great and uh, had a lot of, 
uh, help from Will James, who was the director of rugby there, the ex-Gloucester player and Wales player, second row forward. And uh, he sort of sort of helped me a lot in that transition. He was pretty much coming out of a 20-year playing career as well, um, and which was really good to work underneath him. Um, did my level two at York University. Um, and then this is where I met my... Uh, fiance Emma and um, she she was very keen on us moving abroad and trying to get a different sort of um, view on the world sort of thing can we travel can we go to a different place and apply our trades and we ended up in Malaysia and if it wasn't for Emma I definitely wouldn't have gone I would have stayed in England so I'm actually really happy she sort of pushed that and we moved to Malaysia for three years uh, we worked at the British International School of Kuala Lumpur um, and uh that was when KL Tigers, so Kuala Lumpur Tigers were the first global partners of Leicester Tigers. And they said, it'd be great if you can come over and, and coach our senior team, so the men's team. And and it, they just set up an academy over there as well, which was, I was a bit sceptical thinking, what is rugby in Malaysia? What does that look like? Do, do they play rugby in Malaysia? And when I got over there, the first first session was a Saturday morning with the kids and we had 600 lads on the pitch absolute chaos from under eights all the way to under 18s and it was just oh, I was just so shocked at how big rugby is in Asia um, and absolutely loved it over there I found something similar with that because I, I went over to um, to Hong Kong in 2016 and they had yeah. uh, the, the the I think it was the under 18 school sevens and it was yeah. uh, Kings Park in, in Hong Kong and and I was surprised that like, the teams that were there that were participating because Malaysia were there Singapore yeah. uh, Mongolia China, I know China obviously played through the, the Olympics of obviously Hong Kong and, and you just like the standard was unbelievable and yeah. the, the conditions that the lads were playing in it was 36 degrees red yeah. hot on a plastic pitch and I'm like no thanks yeah. no deal. I'll see you with a beer thanks they are so jue as well out there aren't they yeah <laughs> as open as they can possibly get it they will throw it from touchline to touchline and just go from anywhere that, even like Singapore they, they've like pretty much transformed the whole sort of international rugby scene. They've hired, I think they've got three full-time coaches over there and all pushing for the Asian Rugby Championship, which is which is great. Hong Kong are obviously, they are well ahead in terms of their sort of programme and their coaching staff and uh, the, the quality of player over there. I mean, the, the premiership in Hong Kong is a really good level of rugby. But no, it really shocked me and how good it was. Is that why is that why Leicester over there just to try and tone it down a bit? Yeah, we don't want to be chucking them long passes, mate. <laughs> everything, everything off nine, and if we're not going forward, we'll box kick it. <laughs> but there's, there's there's a cockerel way. Now, um, no, it's interesting because um, it's I guess it's it's quite a lot of coaches are similar in some regards into their coaching into uh, coaching journey from uh, picking up on you saying that you just applied what you had already experienced so your your playing days when you first yeah. start out which I think you know Chris and I speaking to a number of coaches I think that's that's kind of how we both started as well and yeah. and it's interesting how how it is a journey to, to try and shape shape your own way um we've spoken around the who how 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 much of a challenge did you find it conversing with and trying to understand the the malaysian culture and and uh, you know and working with those kind of them participants yeah it, i mean it, it was a challenge but it was one of them sort of i absolutely loved it because it, i was completely out of my comfort zone which made me as a coach actually work harder to to be better and I, I, when i was over there for a year um so i was i was teaching in the school but that was ranging from year one gymnastics up to um, under 18s rugby, which again, that that helped me so much coaching four, five, six-year-old boys and girls. 
how to walk across a bench and do a star jump off it. I mean, sort of, you just take a whole sort of step back and what is it, what is important when they come to a PE session? What is important when the, when people come to a rugby session? And it goes back to what, what does good coaching look like? As long as they're happy and they're safe and, they've, and they're playing and they're learning, they're getting plenty of touches on the ball, they're getting plenty of opportunities to, to show what they're about, it, it, it doesn't have to make the job a lot easier when people are enjoying it. But yeah, in terms of the rugby over there, the senior rugby, I was fortunate as well. Um, he's at Amptill now, Tom Hudson, the fullback. He, um, he obviously, he's, he's played at Gloucester and he, he came through the Tigers Academy with myself. He struggled with injury and he was already in Malaysia when I joined. So he took care of the backs and I took care of the forwards and we sort of shared the, shared the head coach role for the first season. And because he'd been out there already, he sort of gave me a, a heads up. Okay, now this is what it's going to look like. You'll be shocked at the start about how many, how many sort of different opinions people have of rugby over there because a lot of the, a lot of the Malaysian, the Malaysian style of coaching. Yes, they want to play a lot, but they're so strict with their the lads' fitness. They're so strict with their discipline. There, it's almost like you remember the Japanese rugby team in the World Cup in the last World Cup where they were fitter than everyone else and they were quick and they were disciplined. It was a little bit like that with the with Malaysian sort of style of coaching it's very much like this is the way we play this is the way we do things it's very sort of regimented and we sort of tried to go over there and give the players ownership which was um, which was challenging at the start but no I was really enjoyed it Obviously, you've, you've you've done the the Malaysia. You've you've worked in Belgium as well, um, and, and done some work with the Belgium under 18s which I think is 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 another good area to sort of talk about because yeah. again, Belgium for, for the the well known for the the, the footballing uh, standards, but from a rugby perspective, we don't tend to hear a lot about what's going on over there. Yeah, so after three years in Malaysia. And Dendam, Dendam on the rugby club um, sort of popped up and they were another global partner of Leicester. So it sort of made sense. We were um and R and do we go back to England? Should we go for one more stop off somewhere else? And then we sort of met in the middle with Belgium and uh, moved over there as head coach. And again, it was what, what does Belgium rugby look like? We'd seen sort of Malaysia. What does Belgium rugby look like? And again, first training session down there, we had 100, 104 players a seniors training session they've got uh, four full size rugby pitches with a 4G brand new clubhouse full gym it was I was just this is so this is better than sort of some national one championship setups in terms of the facilities um, and what's the rugby going to be like and the rugby in Belgium I normally describe it as sort of going back 30 years in England and it's sort of <laughs> who's got the biggest type five set of forwards um, and we're going to maul and we're going to scrum and we're going to pick and go and if it doesn't work we're going to pick and go some more and, then we, and it was just it was almost like watching rugby 30, 40 years ago I can see um, why I can see why Leicester went there then yeah that's it mate absolutely <laughs> <loved it. laughs> I think they must have targeted that um, but they, they so the competition they play over there is split across Belgium and uh, the Netherlands so uh, the top four teams in Belgium and the top four teams in in Holland play against each other in like group stages and then knockouts and obviously there's the national competition just the, just the Belgian clubs and just the Holland clubs as well um, and with Denham on the Wii we won the Belgian Cup which is a knockout cup in the first season we were there um, and then we lost in the semi-finals to the eventual winners in the first season and then when we uh, when it came to the end of the first season that's when the, the Belgium under-18s head coach job came up and it was perfect because then boys 
they train once a week so they train on a Wednesday afternoon uh, and it fit in perfectly with the Dendermonda schedule as well so um, that worked but what amazed me with the Belgium under 18s is that they could they will play in three different languages so half of Belgium is Dutch speaking half of Belgium is French speaking and you've got an English coach who doesn't really speak either. And it's like, how, how do we, how do we overcome that challenge? Um, the backs coach was French and he spoke, he spoke English and French, didn't speak much Flemish. Um, and that was, that was amazing because the boys, they, this was one thing. How do we, how do we integrate this team if they don't speak the same language? And you've got, say your, your 10 speaks French but your 12 is from Flanders, doesn't speak French and almost not refuses to speak French, but they don't want to be showing up and they, there's a little bit of rivalry between the French speakers and the, and the Dutch speakers over there. And there was, there was one lad who um, is at the Langley School now, actually on a, on a rugby scholarship at 10. He was Rwandese. So he, speak, he spoke Rwandese, English, French, Dutch and German. And as a 10 could switch between the three languages as he was playing and as a coach you're like wow that is seriously impressive it's hard enough for a 17 year old lad to um just speak english but then it was amazing so that was that was great with the belgium under 18s yeah i loved it so what kind of you've got any examples of what you did to try and and bring them two together um and did you did you do it with your best steve mclaren um dutch accent (laughs) no well people you say uh, they reckon I've got a bit of an accent or whatever and they said when I'm speaking to the the Flemish you almost put more of an English accent on because you're so <laughs> proud of being English but the with the integration with the lads at the at the start we had a, a residential training camp in in Holland uh we went to Amsterdam and we had the lads for five days straight and this was a, this was for us a perfect opportunity to integrate them before we play in the European Championships and how do we do that so yeah, you want to focus on what style of rugby do you want to play? How do you want to play it? But how do you get two sets of lads who speak two different languages to play together and make that make that work? And we did uh, we did a talent show on the first night of the training camp. Belgium's Got Talent, hosted by myself, which was which was pretty funny. And basically, the lads were joined up one Dutch speaker and one French speaker, they were together and they had to perform together and do whatever. And this was when, this was when bottle flipping was, was a big thing. And the lads, I don't know, they were bottle flipping, they were dancing, they were singing. I think there was one lad was doing, you know, when they have like num, nunchucks, the Chinese nunchucks, but he had two pool cues going. It was unbelievable. And it really was, it really was great. And, and for the rest of them five days, all the lads would do is just, chat oh do you remember when so-and-so made a fall out of himself when he did this and they sort of it just brought the group together and it was really good um and for the rest of the year we we sort of pushed on unfortunately the european championships was cancelled because of covid it was meant to be in russia as well so we were two weeks before we were going to russia um and unfortunately the uh the competition got cancelled which was such a shame but yeah the boys the boys were looking good as well we just beat holland in a warm-up game and you'd love it harrison mate last minute driving mall in the corner absolute scenes on the touchline was brilliant but yeah unfortunately that that competition got cancelled the perfect game the perfect yeah. game <laughs> cold wet rainy night on a wednesday it was <laughs> floodlights really dark and we just popped over in the corner brilliant <laughs> 
I think it's it's great listening to 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 the different environments that you've worked in and and you know covering some some really good stories, especially that bit there about how you you brought them together. I think if we sort of just move that on to talking about um, how all these different environments. So obviously you started at, at Leicester, and like you say, there was a, a set way of sort of doing things coming through the academy and then in, in sort of into the first team. Then how have all these different environments helped shape? your general understanding of the game and uh, have you got any examples of, of how that's changed yeah. as you move through them I think it, it it's like um, going when you go to a new environment when you go to a new club or a new country it was like a lot of the coaches would say what's what's our game plan going to look like before you've actually coached a session and it's no point in, in I would say to them there's no point in me sending you a game plan revolving around a I don't know, a big scrum and a, and a dominant driving line out or whatever. And then you get there and your tight head props 70 kilos. So how, how do you how do you form a game plan? How do you form a style of rugby? So it was, it was pretty much sort of like trial and error with us in, in whatever environment we've been in. Whereas what suits your players? And it's all well and good, you coming up with a game plan. But what, what do the players want to play? What style of rugby do the players want? Do we want to be... A team that a sort of possession-based team that play from anywhere on the pitch. Do we do we do we have a ten who's got a brilliant kick, a fifteen who's got a brilliant kicking style? Uh, do we have a strong lineout? Do we have a strong set piece? And it it's sort of it is trial and error. And I think teams sometimes get stuck in a way. Yeah, this is our identity of how we want to play. But what if that identity against a certain opposition might not work? So you've got to be adaptable. You have to change because if you play one style all the time. You do get found out, and um, I think, yeah, when it when it comes to style of rugby and, and how do we play, it's got to be trial and error based for me. I, I feel quite strongly about that. Yeah, and, and I, I think, well, I mean, we've 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 discussed it on um, an episode four in terms of how we kind of how Chris and I created our 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 what what we want to coach, <laughs> and um, and actually, it's yeah, it's, it does very very much depend on on the players that you've got. A seventy kilo, a seventy kilo tight head is never gonna, gonna win you when you're dominant scrum unless he's uh, under thirteens. Then it, you get him in there. I think that the trial and error, it's it's, it's an interesting it's, it's an interesting uh, concept with that. Um, how, have you, in terms of your experiences, you know, I mean, you don't uh, you don't have to you, know, you can we can brush over it if you want. But you've got like like examples of where you've reflected and you think, well, I just I kind of got that uh, totally wrong there. Yeah, there was. There was a, a good example in Belgium, actually. We were playing away at a team called Swanee, who are in the, the French-speaking part, and their pitch is known for being an absolute bog. And it is it, it was on a hill as well. If you're playing uphill, it's almost impossible to sit. It's almost like at Bedford, where the Bedford pitch, but times that hill by about 10 and just throw litres and litres of water on the pitch. It's an absolute bog. And what I based our game plan around playing off nine and trying to win that be dominant up front sort of thing and we got so stuck in that this is this is the plan this is what we're going to do and Swanee defended against us and, and we couldn't go forward and whenever Swanee got the ball they would they were playing with it and because it was so the pitch was so heavy if you could get two passes away defenders couldn't struggle to change direction and they played their forwards actually wider off off 10 and even off 12 and they ended up getting round us and being able to play through us which and the, the, the reason we went with that plan is we we beat them it was 12-7 we beat them 12-7 in a really tight game 
And then we got the stats up for the end and, and we did 205 pick and goes in 80 minutes. And it was uh, the possession stats. I think we had 85% of possession and, um, and scored two tries. And then when we came back and tried to do the same thing, we got beat 36-3 and they just, they, they played what we weren't expecting. We didn't know how to defend against it. We'd only come with one game plan and we didn't adapt at all to the conditions when, when they came with a different style. But that's, again, great learning experience for me and great learning experience for the players as well. We came in at half-time and we were losing, I think we were 20 points down and we were like, well, what's the plan? What's the plan? And it's like, one, should we change Should we change our plan? Yes, we have to because we're losing. Um, and yes, we're down by 20 points, but we haven't practised anything else during the week. So you're, you're playing on a, you're just guessing really, aren't you? And again, like I said, great learning experience for me and, and the players as well. I think that's uh, I think that's key. Um, you know, I think I think coaches a lot of the time are almost are sometimes afraid to to share those those negative stories. Mm. And I mean, I know that I've got I've got a fair share through my days at um, at Leeds Beckett, which I think I've, I've covered a couple of times already on the episode. So I don't need to delve any further. Um, so, but yeah, I think we're seeing those um, you know learning moments. I think are key in any, in any journey and. Um, I think, I think building on that as well, and it's it's being adaptable as a coach as well for different for different area environments you go into. So, prime example for, for like yourself, you have to be you probably be if, you, if we were to film if you were to film yourself in Malaysia and film yourself in Belgium, do you, would 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 you, would you see that? And uh, even if you filmed yourself, you know, what's training um, now, how how different would you be in each one of those environments? Do you think? Oh, uh, massively, massively, massively different. It was like. When I got over to Malaysia, I was still stuck in that way of coaching how I'd been coached and hadn't sort of, I was still learning it all. I mean, I'm, I'm by nowhere, no, by no means I'm not a guru of coaching now. I'm still completely learning. And But I, I sometimes look back at old videos of myself coaching where I've been mic'd up and you look back five or six years ago and think, why did you say that? What? And oh, it's, it's that natural thing. I had a really bad habit of when I was coaching, every time a player knocked the ball on, I would go, ah, and you think, what are you doing? Do, do you think that player's dropped that ball on purpose? Absolutely not. And does is you screaming or making a negative sort of noise, is that a good thing? Absolutely not. Like, stop doing that. And then you almost put yourself in their player's shoes. If you knock the ball on, what do you want to hear from your coach? Or if you make a mistake, you miss a tackle, what do you want to hear from your coach? How can your coach help you? And the first, the first question... Tosh, do you know Tosh Askew? You, you might know him, Chris. He's, Tosh Askew, uh, coach, he used to be the Tigers' backs coach and academy coach. A great, great coaching mentor. Um, and he's helped me a lot through through my um, sort of development as a coach. And he would just say, what did you think about that? And ask the player, "What? Not don't come in with advice straight away. Don't come in with a negative or a positive. What do you think about that? How do you think that went? And then you get, you don't just get a yes or a no from a player. Because, you know, you go, oh, you should have put your hands up there. And they go, yes, that's that's not a learning experience. That's not, they haven't learned anything from that. But if you can get them to answer the question, what do you think about that? Oh, well, I probably could have put my hands up a little bit earlier over my inside hip or whatever. And then you almost get that sort of snowball effect of a conversation and and we both learn from it. Um, and when you go right, show me, show me what's good now. And when you go back into the game, let's see you put that into practice. You, for me, that was a huge change from when I coached in Malaysia 
to Belgium and then to now. What's what's great now is that in in Belgium, as a head coach, people were coming to you a lot for advice on their coaching, and there was often sometimes not that person above me that I could go to and ask ask for feedback on on certain bits. Um, and then here at Wasps now, it's great to touch base with Gaz, Harrison, Becky, and just say JV, and what do you think about that that coaching session? And they go there's your feedback. This is what I thought works well. This is what you could work on or this delivery style, maybe this, this would work. And it's great to get that feedback and constantly keep myself developing. I think that's a really um, important thing across all coaching is that we all, we always need to be learning. And, and that was one of the motivations when I approached Harrison about setting this up was just to give a platform to support coaches to be able to keep developing because if we Definitely. just stay where we are, we're not um, we're not doing ourselves any justice and also we're not doing the players that we've got any justice either. It needs to be a constant learning journey because I'm exactly the same. I know that I've massively improved from where I started yeah. 12 years ago to where I am now. Yeah, And that, that's something that Stuart touched on as well in, in terms of sort of he knows that he's always developing each week, each year, he's, he's mm. trying to upskill himself to make sure that he provides that best possible environment um, for his players. What, what you covered there around the questioning is very similar to stuff that Steve spoke about last week of sort of asking the players of what they've seen because on, only them, they can give you that answer really in terms of what was in that that site, a line of sight because wherever you're stood as a coach, whether it's on the sideline, whether it's behind the attack or defence, you, you're still not actually seeing the proper picture that the, the player has seen. Yeah. And, and that has effectively made the judgment in their mind of what they want to do as yeah. part of the decision-making process. So by getting that information from them, encouraging them to reflect, which is a learning moment for them anyway, and it gives you more high-quality information as to why they made that decision. Definitely. I definitely. So it, like, it's so important when, you, when you're coaching is to ask what they, what they saw, like you said. I mean, if they come back to you and say, well, I didn't, I don't know what I saw, then maybe that's the, the scanning process and how early you can scan as a, a defender or an attacker. What picture did you see which made you make that decision? Absolutely true. I think as well, this is one, as a coach, where do you stand when you're coaching a session? Does it, when you're coaching, say you're focusing on your attack, where should you stand? Should you be stood on the touchline? Should you still be on the posts? I don't know. What, what do you guys think? If you're coaching attack... Or say, yeah, Harrison, you were in charge of defence of, of, a, of a session. They're playing 15 on 15. Where would you stand to give you a best view of the defence? Um, I think for me, it, I'd, I'd, for defence, I tend, usually tend to stand behind and then try and not just stand directly in the middle of the pitch behind, but try and vary where I do in behind just so I'm just trying to pick up as many as many different uh, try, just try and pick up their, their eyesights and what, what they potentially could be seeing as well. Yeah. Um, I think that's. I think for a coach, that's probably the hardest thing to do is break, break, break through into looking through their lens. Yeah. Um, because you know, I think most of us coaches will, will will like to back our own tactical understanding of the game, mm. but we don't know what's going through that that lad's head. So I think where you stand, and I think for me, in behind in defence, just means that I can get a good overall picture. Yeah. And actually 
when I do go and ask them, what did you see? We can have that discussion because I've yeah. got that shared similar experience. It's a big thing that I've mentioned when I've done coach ed for the RFU as well on the, 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 the old level two and now the England rugby coaching award it's just that that ability to, to move around as a coach so that you've yeah. got the best possible view because when you first start out it's as if the touchline is a magnet and every coach is sort of pushed towards that magnet and they never they never leave it they just sort of stand there and watch and then that's yeah. I think when you become guilty of becoming a fun facilitator rather than actually coach because you, yeah. you don't get that proper picture of, of what's going yeah. on I think as well Mazzo uh, Andre Mazzo made this clear to us was if you've got, say, four coaches at a coaching session or three or four coaches, if they stand on the pitch and are actually on the pitch, like 10 metres behind the defence line, 10 metres behind the attacking line, the players are seeing a different picture there. They may not get an opportunity to identify the space because the coach is in the way. If they're, When they're playing on a weekend, there's only a referee on the pitch and the rest of it is just space to attack or space to solve problems, how can we defend that space, etc. And if you've got four players on the pitch, the players are going to find it more difficult to identify space just because the amount of bodies are in the way. And I'd, I'd never, that's another thing, I'd never thought of that. Where When you go first go into coaching, where do you stand? Where do you watch the session from? And you think, yeah, that's, for me, if you, you need, like you say, you, you can't be in one position the whole session. You've got to be floating, see a different angle. So I think to start with, they're worried that they're going to get in the way. But I'll never forget when Stuart Lancaster came and did a session at West Park and he did one of his defence sessions. And he never stopped running. Between, yeah. He must have done more running in that session than, than some of the lads did because he was yeah. moving between the lines. Yeah. And uh, you just like, well, that's just so much movement to get the different picture to see what's going on. So that's like that's like Joe's work rate in a session. We can um, I'm sure we can overlay some clips there where he's he's outpacing some of our some yeah. of our lads. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a natural runner. Um I was refereeing the other week and one of the lads made a break and it just it, it was like a flashback to two thousand nine. Like I took, the handbrake, <laughs> I took the handbrake off and I absolutely flew on the inside support and outpaced a couple of our lads and I've clipped it up. I'm just waiting to send it into the uh, the players group as and when someone gives me a bit of stick and I'll just fire that in. <laughs> but um, Harrison's refereeing tonight, so I'll be on the side heckling Harrison as well as coaching. I feel like a lighthouse referee and just stood in the middle. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Um, so uh, I, I think what would be quite interesting is we had we had Steve on last week from, from Leeds Beckett just talking about the, the principles of building a curriculum. And obviously you, you're working within that academy environment at, at Wasp sort of running the DPP programme. Can, can you give us some examples of what a, a player development curriculum might look like yeah. within the academy environment and, and what is the overall goal um, for each of the player that's involved? Yeah, so we, we, myself and Matt sat down um, at the start of last season and said, what, what do, what's our aim for the DPP, for our development player programme? What do we want? And, and we said, we want to produce players who can play for the first team at Wasps. And then it comes to, well, what does what does that player look like? What does a Wasps first team player look like? And there's the acronym WASP. So you've got uh, W is work rate. Does the player work? Does this player work hard? So it's almost like a, t- a checklist. Can this play, Does this player work hard? A, does he have the application? Does he apply himself in training? Does he apply himself off the pitch as well? S, does he have the skill set to... to to be a, a Wasps first team player and does he have our phys- uh, physical potential to be a Wasps rugby player and then if you're if you're revolving your curriculum to find players who fit that criteria how do you do that so 
this this year is um, the first year we've sort of joined up with the county program as well which in terms of when we're ID and talent or giving players opportunities to show what show what they can do we said they just in a, if you're training once a fortnight that might not be an opportunity for some for certain players to showcase how good they are so we've got to give these guys games game opportunities and playing opportunities um so joining the county program that allows us to do that which which has worked really well it's something that next season so excited about because they're going to the, the players are going to not only train with the DPP but they're going to get playing opportunities so what does an actual DPP rugby session look like so that we're normally in groups of between 30 and 35 players at a session uh, there's a lead coach with two support coaches with each group which is which is great that's such a luxury to have and these guys these coaches are some of them are volunteers some of them are coming in on a sort of like a part-time sort of deal and um they're coming in and all these coaches that we've that we've got in are, are not just coming to deliver a session tick a box and then go off they're so focused on the player development and there's there's guys who have played professional rugby there's directors of rugby at um schools there's teachers there's guys who are volunteers that come down or they coach at for example Milton Keynes rugby club and they're a support coach over there when they want to develop their their coaching they join the DPP program and we've sat down and sort of designed a curriculum where these lads will they'll come to a training session they've got an hour and a half um to two hours on the pitch which will be they'll come in do a primer so they'll get some sort of warm-up which again with this is the first time we've we've brought in strength conditioning um interns into the program so they're getting high quality strength conditioning based warm-ups um they'll come and do small-sided games with us where they get loads of touches loads of opportunities to 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 show us what they can do then we go into sort of games skills game skills flip between the two and then at the end because we've joined the county program and there's playing opportunities they'll have a they'll have a, a team session at the end where it'll be position specific some of these lads come to us and we say what position do you play and they go i don't know yet which is that's another topic when does a player specialize in a certain position and for me I don't think it's important that a fourteen-year-old lad doesn't know what position he plays. Um, that's that's not a problem. We'll find out. We'll figure that out in in due course, sort of thing. Well, that does mirror again with, with what we spoke about with Steve last week. Is sort of within these programs as as academy developing players pathway programs is that your job is to try and coach them what the game's going to look like in 10 years' time. And I think that was a really powerful point that Steve made. So we should be giving them an opportunity to explore all these different positions because we don't know, one, how they potentially could grow. You could take a, a guess based on on potential parents to, uh, look like, but you don't know what they're going to potentially look like further down the line. So giving them that broad experience is going to yeah. make them that. that yeah, that I think that, that's, that's an interesting one because I, I remember... Um, working in, in a pathway and it was this lad's not not big enough and someone says how big is his mum and dad and I'm like how big is his mum and dad what is mum and dad going to put a jersey on and play at the weekend and you think why are we looking at that I mean yes you probably can uh, there might be a trend of uh, whatever but my dad's 5'10 and my mum's 5'6 and I'm 6'5 so I mean, my sister's five foot one. Like it's it's it, the postman's tall though. So, not, <laughs> but like I say, um, <laughs> it's, um, 
it's, it's an interesting one. That physical potential, What when we're trying to see what a physical potential looks like, what is it? Is that he is quick? Is it he's strong? And then you think, well, what does what, what do we take? What do we look for? I think speed is speed is so important in, in the modern day rugby now. Even you're looking at type five forwards, everyone needs to be able to change direction. Everyone needs to be able to accelerate. Um, so speed would be probably probably the reason why I packed up so early. Um, <laughs> so you've got to be sorry, sorry for all three of us, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> so quick, mind, yeah. quick minds. Yeah, that's it. Quick is that what physical potential is, Harrison? Quick quick thinker. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, but what's what's interesting in these pathways is the way players can change from 14 to 16. Because that, that player who joins at 14 years old in two years' time some of them have got full beards. Some of them are uh, six foot four. Some of them have come in at six foot and you think, oh, this lad's going to be massive. And when he leaves, he's, he's the same height. And But that's why these these player development programmes, you need an on-ramp for that player who develops late, that late developer, that guy who he, at 16, he might not get into the junior academy. He might not make the, the under-18s team, but he goes to his county programme, plays under-17s county, under-18s county. And then in a year's time, he's developed his, I don't know, he's, he's, a, he's now gone from being moderately quick to being quick. Um, he's, I don't know, he's put on 10 kilos of good mass and now he's got he's grown into his body. He's, he's less clumsy and now he can get in a good shape when he's scrummaging that they need an on-ramp how do they get back into that elite pathway which is which is good and I think as as what at wasps we've we've got that program where we're not missing them late developers yeah and I think that's physical potential is probably the hardest the hardest of the of the four especially when you're working with um players in that development pathway to really gauge to really get a grasp of um, so I think, you know, especially with rugby being such a late specialism sport, you know, like you said, we can, you got some lads who are at 17 still sound like Mickey Mouse and then overnight they sound like Liam Neeson. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's, it, they do develop at different rates. I think another thing just to touch on in terms of um, not knowing where they play at 14, I think it also helps develop them in terms of their, their tactical understanding of of the sport as well. I mean, there's so many times in which I've, I think Chris can back me up on this is is that we've had no, we've had tens coming into a university program first years who have only played ten of their life and actually don't understand what's expected of other positions. So I think first of all, playing a variety of positions is is key to that development, and then secondly, it makes you less of a knob. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah. put it bluntly I was just thinking that was quite, quite bluntly hey, say it how it is don't hold back say it how it is <laughs> why, why have a podcast if you can't be blunt <laughs> well I saw, I saw a thing the current All Blacks coach said we, they have a policy of being brutally honest and I, 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 I like that I think if you're thinking something you should be in that environment to be able to voice your opinion say it how it is and and for me that's that's such a important tool to have especially as a coaching team to give feedback to each other and be brutally honest with what you think so no that's good just um going back to to the stuff around the curriculum obviously you said the a was around that that application and, and skill set how how do you uh judge i suppose probably the yeah. wrong word, that how one. do you measure it yeah how do you measure that i think application is one of them it's it, you know when people talk about a, a skill that doesn't require any talent and for me, to if you're if you can apply yourself, 
that is that is a talent and that is something that some people do have and some people don't um it's the sort of you know people talk about the unseen work and a lot of that is through application there's there's guys who what does application look like it's applying yourself to that to that drill to that game to be for me to be coachable and if you're applying yourself, you're 100% involved in the session. You are reacting, sort of interacting with players, interacting with coaches. You're there. You you know when you come to a DPP session, you're there to to be better. You're there to better yourself. Ask questions. I think that's one of the main things. A lot of the lads, they they may be. How do you allow a player to be confident to be able to ask a question in front of 30 other lads? How does he go, actually, I'm not sure about this. Can you just talk me through this, this and this? Because a lot of them will think, oh, no, my teammates are going to think I'm daft here or they don't think I understand the drill or I don't understand rugby in general. But we've got to be able to get that environment to such a learning environment to allow players to voice their opinions and ask questions and not be worried about making mistakes. And for me, that's application. That's applying yourself in the session. That's throwing yourself into that this drill, this game block, this skill set, and and having that, like I say, that application to want to get better. That's what I would say. Yeah, I think that's I think, I think that's um that's very much an important tool. Um, so I think yeah, it's 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 good that what DPP seems to be in strong strong hands. No, I think um it's interesting when we talk about curriculum. I think a lot of people mistake curriculum and just think it's we can just do the stuff on the field mm. um, what kind of measures have, have you kind of put in terms of kind of off-field stuff in terms of surrounding the surrounding the curriculum so through um through the various lockdowns we've been in um we've tapped into as many sort of coaches not just rugby coaches so i, I call them coaches but nutritional coaches strength conditioning coaches to come on and and deliver workshops to our players and um we had uh, Chris Lowe from from Wasps come on uh, and deliver what a, what a developing player, sort of teenager, what's the ideal diet for the lads? And because a lot of them will go, oh, I need protein, need this, need this. And you're like, build a meal. And they've come back with they've got six chicken breasts on a plate and a bit of broccoli. That's that is, that's not good nutrition. And the, the, the one thing for me, look, I, I am... I'm probably not the best person to come to when it comes to nutritional advice, weighing in at 128 kilos, but it is what it is. That's why we've got these nutritional guys to come in and help people and help our players. And it's they've been so helpful. That Lozy was so helpful with him. He's working with the first team and he's given up evenings to come and chat to 300 different DPP players and deliver a nutritional presentation. We've had strength conditioning coaches come on and, and through March, we actually... We did a, uh, we've done a fitness challenge for the boys. So we, with rugby returning in April, um, we sat down in Feb and said, how can we sort of jump the gun a little bit? Can we set them a challenge between now and, and the return of rugby to, to put themselves in a better position? And we set them, we set them a running challenge through March to run a, a mile, one mile per day, so 50 kilometres through March um, and we used it as a, a learning opportunity so we got Giles one of the um, academy strength conditioning coaches to come on and help them plan a schedule help them give them ideas to warm themselves up how to complete um, complete a challenge and 
we did two or three Zoom calls with them through Feb and then March the 1st we set up a Strava running club and the boys joined the club we had 305 runners on the club and we 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 gave, gave the lads a target to raise some money for the Motor Neuron Disease Association which I mean so inspiring watching watching Kev Sinfield and the Rob Burrow story and, and Doddy Weir's situation and uh, we set so we've got three counties, Oxfordshire, Buckinghamshire and Warwickshire. We set them a target to raise £500 each, so 1500 quid. And um, we've gone through the, well, I went through the donations a couple of days ago and we raised £26,000 and £5,000 in gift aid. And it was, you, the boys bought into it so much. The the parents bought into it. The, the other DPP coaches, you see like pictures of them running up and down the streets in their Wasps kit, in their Milton Keynes kit, in their Aylesbury kit. And it's just, it's brilliant. And it, we were so, I'm so proud of that, raising that amount of money for, for such a good cause. And that's something like, I think it'd be great to, if if we go into lockdown number four or whatever that's going to be, we could even, uh, we'll have to set them a new fitness challenge. But um, no, it was, that's something as a DPP we're really proud of. No, that's that's an unbelievable amount of money, and, and like I say, it's for an, for an amazing cause because everything that's been going on for for Duddy and, and Rob Burrows at the moment has been has been unbelievable, and it, it's yeah. good that they've um, they've been raising some more money for that. I think you, you've covered some really good points there around how how you can be active during during the downtime, and yeah. and I think there's some really good examples there that that people could use. Uh, with that sort of working on off field stuff, what what advice would you give to to some coaches in the community game? so that they could start doing similar stuff? Because like I said, nutrition is an important area. Yeah. It's not something I'm particularly good at myself. But how can we support coaches with that in terms of making sure that players before they get, because they're going to be, there's a percentage of players that don't get into the, the WASPs DPP programme. Yeah. How can we still make sure that coaches still have access to this content yeah. and continue the growth outside of that? I think well, part of my job is is to go around and do club visits and visit as many clubs in our catchment area. And when you go into a club visit, what you don't want you don't want to turn up, watch an under fourteen session for an hour, watch an under sixteen session for an hour, and then leave. Because for me, that's a wasted journey. When you go there, when I when I go there, I try and chat to as many people as you can, and give you contact information out and allow them to come and ask questions if they. I mean. For example, I went down to Marlow Rugby Club a few times before Christmas and and they were really uh, the under-14s coach down there, Gaz. He, he was so keen on his player, not just rugby development, but the players' development as, a, as lads, as young boys. And he said, can you come down and not just coach a bit of rugby here? Can you come and deliver um, some information, give some handouts with regards to what, like a match day, meal sort of what a schedule of, of food looks like on a match day and I, I thought that was such a positive thing for him to be able to come and ask that from his DPP manager in his area or whatever and I think when I'm going out to these clubs and touching base it's so good for them coaches to come and say oh Joe in the academy what what would you suggest for a 15 16 year old lad to do here for his strength conditioning off-field stuff there or, or a fitness programme. And I might not have all the answers, but at WASP, we have people so that the strength conditioning coaches, they could co- even come out and do a visit at certain clubs or invite these coaches down to a DPP session, say, come and watch come and watch this session here um, where the strength conditioning coaches will be leading the warm-up. You might be able to steal a few ideas from there. It's, it's so important for the community coaches to to be able to ask questions 
to people who are full-time coaches working in rugby clubs. Yeah, don't don't be afraid to ask and um, and sort of whatever way you can help your players off the pitch. I mean, there's there's probably a million different ways. I think when sort of um, shops and that and bowling alleys reopen or whatever stuff like that. Take can you arrange for the players to go and do something away from rugby? Could you go and play a different sport with them? Could you rent a five-a-side football pitch out for? an hour and go and play that with them and and just see the players in a different environment and not just playing playing rugby I think I'm a huge advocate for players playing as many different sports as you can boys and girls to play as many different sports as you can until you have to specialise if you do want to go down that specialised professional route but if I wasn't if I didn't go down that professional rugby I would still be playing cricket rugby football darts uh, golf, tennis, squash. I, I'm. I think there's so many transferable skills across across all sports. So, yeah, there's some ideas there. No, and I, I think that's really. Uh, it's it's knowing the people. I think sometimes to go and ask, but it's like it's having that confidence to go and ask because. Yeah. As coaches, like that we sort of alluded to earlier, especially in the the age great stuff, we want to be encouraging them to develop as people as well as rugby players, and mm. that off field stuff. I think is a is a, a key a key part of that. Absolutely. I mean, it's that's one thing is sometimes when you go to a rugby club and you've got your Wasps tracksuit on and it you might not come across, you might think you're being really approachable and chatting to people, but it, it might be quite intimidating for someone to come up to someone in the sort of like in the industry or whatever, in the business with your full Wasps kit on. And you might look intimidating and I am not intimidating. <laughs> it's like, how, how do you make that? How do you allow coaches to be comfortable to come and ask? But yeah. well, I, I found that when I was at the RFU as well as a community coach, you turn up in all the RFU gear, yeah. you turn up with the the mini that I had then, all fully branded up. And you do, people sometimes don't want to, you, how you are, you've got to really be um, engaging with people and build that rapport with them so that more Definitely. people come and do ask you questions. Because the way I see it is when I turn up at a Ruby Club, I'm a resource that I want people to, you know, I want them to come and ask me questions. Oh, I want them to, yeah, yeah. And if I don't have the right answers, because, you know, I don't know everything. Um, yeah. You, you heard that here first. I'll I can go and find someone that does. Yeah, I can go and speak to someone with strength and conditioning. I yeah. can go and pick up the phone to contacts that I've got who might be able to help. Yeah, I think that's that's so. Even even I don't have all the all the uh, answers for rugby and stuff like that. I remember I did a club visit and um, one of the coaches. This was only this was before Christmas and um, asked me about uh, backfield defence and how we defend in the back three, and I was like. Mate, I I don't know. <laughs> I can't, I'm I'm not sure. And but what what we've done is basically I was I, I, all I knew was a, a classic pend, pendulum defence, which which is what we we used at Leicester. But I didn't actually know the ins and outs of it. I could I could figure out how to defend that space and how to put players there. But um, yeah, and then you go to I went to Wasps and basically took the bloke's email. I said ping over a couple of questions, mate, and I'll go and speak to. And it was um, Andre Mazzi go and speak to him and then I, th- I remember Harrison we had a chat about it uh, just before an academy session you might not even notice I was asking you questions about it but just speak to speak to people ask them questions about rugby because mate sometimes you think oh, I don't know the answer to that how do you launch a starter play off the scrum and I'm like I don't know I could I could help you how to win the scrum I could help you how to get the ball to number eight's feet and be ready to launch but phew, sometimes you don't have all the answers do you so 
No, I think actually, um, I remember um, there's a, a good uh, good program on um, Amazon Prime. I don't know if many people have heard it. It's called All or Nothing, and yeah. um, they did the Manchester City special, and uh, Pep Guardiola was on there, and even he you know, he said sometimes as a coach, you just don't know the answers. Yeah, and you know. I have to go and either, either you've got a choice. You either bluff it um, if it's not to do with coaching, you can bluff it and, and, and offer and offer some advice, or you or you, you you trust your coaching team that you work with. And that's you know I guess I guess you know people are, are more fortunate than others in terms of uh, obviously you've got a very knowledgeable coaching team around you. But yeah, not being afraid to ask. Yeah, not being afraid. Um, because Absolutely. Help each other out. Yeah, I think. Have you seen the um, comparisons between Pep Guardiola and Neil Warnock? <laughs> have you seen them? So uh, Neil Warnock, the Chef United, ex-Chef United, he's currently at Borough now, um, football manager, and he is as straight as they come. He, he will tell you exactly what he's thinking. You've got Pep Guardiola walking around the changing room, shaking each other's hands, even kissing the players on the cheeks, whatever, very sort of European. <laughs> then you've got Warnock who'll walk in and go, uh, like, how's it going, nickname for every player, straight up with them and there's one one of my favourite clips was um, Pep Guardiola's announcing the team and he said so this is where we're going to play we've got so and so we've got this player here this player here this player here and then Warnock's announcing his team and he walks into the changing room and just goes Lids you're on bench mate <laughs> just straight up no you're not starting because this is this, this went Lids you're on bench <laughs> and I just I think this just different manager styles I, I, I love it I think well, I think um, Neil Warnock's become a bit of um, a bit, a bit of a celebrity over over lockdown because it seems that he's got a meme or a video for every for every every occasion of lockdown at the moment. I, I think I saw a video of him. He'd gone to watch an under twenty ones game at the training ground, and you can hear him on the side just abusing that poor referee. And you just think <laughs> he, he he must be relentless to work with. It's so on you, so on top of you. He, he demands he demands a hundred percent from you. But yeah, again, different coaching styles, different managers' styles, isn't it? Definitely, definitely. Joel, uh, thank you for, uh, for for agreeing to come on today. I think there's there's been a lot of um, content there that will will help coaches in terms of what they can start thinking about uh, applying and and the utilising maybe stuff like the diagram that you've used from 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 wasps there as well. I think's really helpful. With all guests, we finish with the the last the, the last question, which which Harrison takes the leads on with the, the captain bench drop. Yeah. Um, so I, I believe this week we've got Leicester legends. Harrison, is that right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So um, as, a, as a former as a former Tiger, we're going to give you three uh, legends uh, of the Tigers. Like I said, I've not I've not told you them before. Um, yeah. So yeah, go make one of them captain. Yeah. Bench one of them. And yeah. then you've got to tell one of them, you're cut, I don't want you in my squad. You've got to basically Neil Warnock them. And the three that I'm going to give you, England's all-time highest try scorer, Rory Underwood. In the back row, Mr. Neil Back. And then in the front row, I'm going to give you Graham Roundtree. Oh, God. That's <laughs> <laughs> a tough one, Harrison. So Roundtree, Back and Underwood. Yes. Yeah. Invention drop. Wow. When, I'm, when you say drop, do I have to have that conversation or can I delegate that to a coach? Um, well, ideally you have the conversation, but if you delegate, you've got to tell us. Got to tell us why. You, why are you delegating? Right. <laughs> right. I've got my captain. I've got my captain. My captain's going to be Neil Back. Yep. So Back is going to be my captain. Absolute Leicester legend. Too small to play the game, apparently. <laughs> um, but yeah, Neil Back would be my captain. I would. 
Oh God. I think I'm oh. I think I'm gonna drop. I'm gonna drop Underwood because I'd be too scared to drop Roundtree. Oh <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, I'm gonna drop I'm gonna drop Underwood and I'm gonna tell Roundtree you're on the bench this weekend, but you can start next weekend. <laughs> I think that I think that's what I'll do, mate. Yeah, <laughs> back, bench round tree and drop underwood. Um, that's uh, absolutely brilliant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think the honesty is the honesty is brilliant. Though. Just yeah, too, too, too scared to. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you must be daft to go and have that conversation with him. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I see why you asked the um, the delegation question now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because yeah, you wouldn't want to be going to have that conversation there, would you? But um, oh, tough, tough three. But yeah, there, there you go. Excellent. Well, thanks again for uh, for coming on, Joe. Really appreciate your time, um, yeah. especially on what is a, a bank holiday Monday. Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, thank you very much. No problem. Uh, thanks for having me on, lads. So, Harrison, another another good episode there with with Joe. Uh, we're we're twenty four hours post chat. What 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 did you take away from that? Um, well, first of all, there's um, plenty of interesting, plenty of interesting things from from his travels. I think he's he's shown that he's he's gone to these different environments and and has learned lots of things. Yeah, and um, I really like the, the 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 bit that he spoke about trying to build the the teams together and the the idea of stuff like Belgium's got talent and stuff like that. It's it's stuff that coaches can actually do to create that environment wherever they are in terms of trying to get to know the players and learn what makes them tick, I suppose. Oh, oh definitely. And that's, and that is, that's a hard thing for a coach to do sometimes, especially when um, there's three different languages involved. I thought that's, yeah, that's, I wouldn't, I, I think, you know, that's, a, that's an environment I think most, most not necessarily coaches, but most people are going to struggle to, to work within. So, yeah, it was interesting to see how we, how we, how we kind of brought that together. And yeah, the the idea of Belgium's talents, it's quite 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 clever. I thought. Yeah, definitely. I, <clears throat> I think from uh, obviously we, we, the last few episodes, we, we've been trying to focus on that how and you know this, this idea of a of a curriculum type type thing. It was good to sort of because now we've got sort of two that we compare. We have sort of the Yorkshire Academy one with with Stuart and the Star model that that they use, and now there's the Wasp one of um, work rate, application, skill set, and physical potential. That, that Joe spoke about yesterday. I mean, you're sort of living and breathing that in terms of your your day to day. What what was what what do you think about how how Joe sort of sold that as a as a topic area? Um, I thought it was uh, I thought it was quite interesting. Um, I think you know the, the large chunk we spoke around that 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 P the the physical potential, which um, you know I think Joe and Joe raised a very good point uh, around that in terms of. We can't just say goodbye to these lads at, at 16 if they don't make it into the academy. That, that, that there's still good good contact with them via via the uh, the county systems that they, they're potentially in. Because you know, like, like we said, these lads grow through different stages of maturation, and, and actually, rugby is a late specialism, uh, specialism sport. Um, so I think that was quite interesting around uh, around the physical potential in terms of in terms of the WAS. I think it's. Brilliant! They've got a club named after your, your key areas. Um, I thought that was they're obviously long-term thinking for like, um, 100, 100 odd years ago. Smart, smart. But no, I, I think you know it, it's something that that we're constantly thinking about, either here at the ACE College that, that I'm working in, or whether we're at the academy. That these are the four kind of main indicators that that really drive us and and trying to understand our players and whether they've got that potential to step up. 
what I really liked was that there was a clear goal associated with it, that they feel that the, the aim of the DPP programme is to produce future stars for Wasps first team. That is that is the goal of, of how they see the, the DPP programme and that within each of them, then think their elements is, is a key characteristic that they're looking for from the players, which gives coaches within the community game something that they can build their players towards as well because they know what the expectation is around what is expected of the players. Oh, and definitely. And I think the other, the other thing that really kind of stood out was was the work with the other community coaches in terms of like this is we we you know we don't want just want to upskill the players here we want to upskill the coaches as well so because those coaches have got more contact time with the, the players than what the DPP coaches do so if we can you know help these coaches out and you know his example of going into Marlow and and just sit sitting there and discussing um, maybe nutrition right he knows someone who can help him with nutrition and actually for him to admit sometimes that he doesn't always have the answers but at WAS they've got you know, we've got a good network of, of fellow coaches in which they can go back and, and ask and, and get those questions and then take them back to those community coaches. Um, and then really trying to upskill the community coaches, both benefits the DPP system and these lads that, that want to develop and actually become better rugby players. And I think that's something that we're all guilty of in terms of going and asking for help. We're, we all try and read stuff. We try to find our own stuff that we can on the internet. When actually... Utilising your contacts in the rugby world, one thing I've learned over the years is people are quite willing to share. People are quite willing to help everyone else. They don't tend to keep it in their own little bubble. Everyone wants to help each other if you're willing to sort of pick up the phone and ask. And I think it's a real good move from from Wasps that they're actively seen within the community to support that. Oh, oh, definitely, and you know, after the after that convers after that uh, conversation with Joe, I mean, we did have to do a bit of sweeping because of all the um the names that you decided to drop, you know. And, and the, the example that I give there when he went to Milo and wanted to talk about the, how the battery positioning, you know, he's able to go and speak to an ex-professional player who played at Wasps, Andrea Mazzi, a uh, number of caps for for Italy and the 2011 Six Nations Player of the Tournament. Just I have to drop that in. You just I think I'm. You ask you to do that. Well, I'm just contractually obliged. You know, he went, he went and asked on Andrea, and then Andrea's come back and, and given that feedback that he's able to pass on to uh, onto other players. And, and that also brings on to that, the other point that I think you were quite impressed with is, is the position on the pitch. Yeah, just, just around... It, it's something that we've not really spoken about around actual what we do on the coaching field, but viewing from different points and, and how we move around as coaches on the field and trying to get that best view of well, why is a player made this decision? Because Joe touched on the point that a player doesn't deliberately go out to, to ruin your session and drop a ball. That, when you turn up to a session, that is not their number one focus. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to annoy Harrison as much as I can today and drop a ball. It's just, well, some might... You know, I'm, I don't know what the players like in your environment now, but definitely I know a few lads at Beckett that might have done that. But players don't intentionally do that. So they've either seen something or not processed something. And if you just stood on the sideline, you know, you, you don't get to see properly that image of what the player's seen that shaped the decision to do what they've done and not necessarily drop the ball, but the certain pass they might have made, whether they've missed the, the, the overlap and taken into contact. You know, we need to be sort of coaching and asking them questions. Well, what have you seen and why is that then contribute to that outcome? And then we can talk about maybe what we've seen and that's when they take that as that learning moment. 
Oh, oh, definitely. That, that linked very beautifully into what, what Steve McEwen said the week before about asking the players, what did you see rather than why did you do that? Um, and, you know, and if we're able to move around the pitch and actually try and get an understanding of what they're seeing and what we can pick up as well, it's um, it's it's just going to provide, you know, that, that feedback and those learning moments, like you said, uh, on, during the reflection reflection sessions or reflection moments. Definitely. And I think that then brings on another topic, which I think, you know, we'll probably need a whole new other episode too, is, is how then you work as a group of coaches and that co-coaching model about how you can make that feedback and what you see and focus on the session work with a group of the coaches. I think that's definitely something we can we can look at for, for another day. Yes. Yeah, because I think it's um it's a difficult skill it's a difficult skill to do sometimes. I know that you know in the environments I'm currently working in. There's you know, there's there's five of us coaches, all sometimes six of us coaches, all potentially looking at our own different areas um, and actually, you know, having a distinct a distinct plan and uh, and actually understanding what we're doing within those sessions is, is is quite important. So that will actually that'll be quite a good episode to do, Chris. Yeah, we'll add that to the list for season two. Anything else from from you that you you, you took away from it? Yeah, I think that's you know, one of the points he's talking about. Um, how he looks to coach in different environments. I think he referred to it as um, trial and error, which, uh, you know, I understand. I mean, I, think I kind of understand where he's coming from or, or with, with that with that kind of regards. But, yeah, it's, it's when we, when I, think, I think what he meant, or what I kind of gained from what he meant by trial and error is that us as coaches, we have an idea idea of, of how we want to play the game, maybe really basic, but we have to go in there, we have to judge and, and see the players for what they are and actually spend time with them to then understand, right, I can do this with this set of players. I can't, I can do this with this set of players, but I can't do this or this, uh, or I'm not, they're not able to do that yet. And error is, it may happen. Um, but yeah, I don't know if I'd say trial because it's more of a, a, a strong estimated guess, I would say, rather than. No, yeah, I agree. When I was listening to it back and, and I heard that and I thought, well, uh, we, we, I was surprised we didn't pick up on it at the time. I thought that's the beauty of these reflection points. Is, is that sort of what works for whom, what circumstance and why is really important, but we all have a belief, concept and value of, of how we see the game to be played and we all have that vision of, of what we want. I think that ties into what we talked about in episode four around the mental model. And I think if you've got that belief and you've got it written down and this is the bonus of having it written down is you can then adapt that and turn that into a, a, a shared mental model with your players which which again we spoke about loosely with Steve last week but making it fit for them yeah. and adapting bits and changing bits so that you can tailor it to the environment that you're in and I think you, you do need to stick to, to that view in terms of your own beliefs rather than trying to cut something that you don't believe in yourself because I, I, is that really going to get the best out of you? I, I, I don't think so Exactly, exactly I think that's, yeah there's, there's going to be there's going to be errors because it's a, it's the journey, um, but it's definitely not um, you're not necessarily trialing it because that seems to be a bit of a punt in the punt in the dark. Yeah, but I think that's a nice segue into um, into our competition from episode four, mentioning stuff around a, a mental model, isn't it? It is, yeah, yeah. It's um, yes, it's exciting. It's exciting. So we have the winner. The winner. Is uh, is Nick O'Connor? So congratulations, Nick. We'll uh, we'll try and reach out to you on on our social media platform. But if you are listening, uh, please drop us a message uh, with an email and a, and a contact number, and we'll we'll get in touch to book in uh, a Zoom chat to go through how we can support you in creating a mental model for your environment and um, what works for you. So congratulations. 
Yes, congratulations, Nick. Congratulations. Oh, what a what a treat you have. What a treat you have. And even more of a treat, we now have a, a, a second competition to announce. So now rugby is officially restarted. We've teamed up with Canterbury, who for well over 100 years have been at the heart of rugby to give away four pairs of their new Phoenix Pro boot. The Phoenix Pro has been developed by players from grassroots all the way up to Wales icon Justin Tipperick, who also sports of his very own pair. They're built for soft ground, play on natural surfaces, comfortable, supportive. These boots are designed for lightweight feel, durability and resistance to get you through a long rugby season. Brilliant. Well, we've got four pairs to give away, um, which we're giving away across Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Um, you can enter on all three of these platforms. Um, head to those platforms to actually find out information about how you can enter on each one of them to win to win that chance of, of, of owning a pair of these awesome boots. You have until Wednesday, the 5th of May, and we will be announcing all winners on episode nine of the podcast the following week on the 12th. Um, so make sure you get, you get submitting and, and enter for this for this awesome prize. And that is live now. So good luck, everyone. Go, uh, go, 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 go. Yeah, guess entered. Uh, and we will see you next time. Cheers for listening. Don't forget to join in the discussion at Big Breakdown HQ on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram.